My name is Heather Green, and I will be serving in Vacation Bible School this coming week. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. From Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the commands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about what the Bible consistently says about godly leadership. I've thought this is a very relevant topic for us as a church these days because we have our nominating committee, really hard, hard at work to identify the elected leaders who will give leadership to our church in the future. And just now, the senior pastor search committee has launched its work to determine who will be the next senior pastor. So it just seems to me this is an important topic for us. But when it comes to godly leadership, I, I thought there are two preliminary points I want to make before I launch into it. One is this. What the Bible teaches us about the heart of a godly leader may sometimes be hard for us to uh, apply to our political candidates as we enter into this presidential uh, campaign season. But by that, I mean you may be tempted to try to apply all that I'm going to say to you about a godly leader today to each candidate, and I, I try to do that. I would rather have somebody who is more godly than less godly, but we shouldn't be surprised when, when they are not um, but I'll say this, all candidates who profess to be Christians have the same calling of applying their faith to their callings, to their place of service as all the rest of us do. Namely, we, we are called after we go out of the worship service to bring Christ-likeness into the workplace or into our schools. I mean, that's true whether you're a politician or a student or a business person or a professional or a construction worker or a stay-at-home parent, all of us, right? We are to show the world what God is like because when we make it known that, uh, that we're followers of Jesus, then you know what happens? The world begins to judge what Jesus is like by watching what we are like. It's a weighty responsibility. Now that is true of a Christian in politics. 
I better say this too. I am convinced that God does call and send some of his people into the political arena. I really am, and I pray that some from within our church will do that. God sends people into almost all the careers that we have in our world to represent him. But I, I think we have to be realistic enough to know that what God expects of a godly leader who identifies with him will often be very different from the leadership we generally see in our world, here in our own country or in the rest of the world as well. Because, I mean, a true follower of Jesus, you know what we're called to be. We're, we're to be salt and light into this world that is deteriorating, not to be a part of the world. And, and what happens is that usually where we go into a place will never fit perfectly into the way everybody else is. Because we have a different king and a different kingdom, and a different Lord, and sometimes we just be like misfits until we come to church with the rest of us who are committed to Jesus, or at least that's the way it, it should be. That's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is, all of us who have come to church this morning exert influence over other people by the way we live our lives. Do you know why I say that? Because I, I was just envisioning, oh, the Pastor Greg's talking about godly leadership, I don't have to listen because I'm not in a role of leadership right now. I'm not a CEO, I'm not a judge, I'm not the chair of a committee even in church, I'm not a parent, I'm not the captain of a sports team, all those places we think of as leadership. But I want you to know this, you and I all exert influence, and maybe I should have called it that, godly influence rather than godly leadership. We all exert influence over every relationship we have every day of our lives. This has really become clear to me these past number of days as we've had three generations of Waybrights in our home these past few days. I'll show you a picture up here. This very formal picture, very formal picture of the Waybrights that is there. You can see that. They, this family, you need to know, is practically perfect in every way. <laughs> Until I've been thinking about Mary Poppins with uh, my grandchildren who are there. I am the patriarch in this family. That means I'm the oldest male. So in the olden days, the oldest male had all the influence. But let me tell you something here. Every one of those people in that family can uh, bless or wreck the family peace in just a moment of time. Are we the only family like that? A loud scream, uh, an angry shout, uh, an accusation, oh, she hit me, can take us from harmony to misery in what the Bible calls the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> it's been happening just occasionally, but we're practically perfect in every way. Perhaps you noticed from the picture that was up there, one of them looks a lot like our scripture reader this morning. <laughs> Did you notice my daughter, Heather? Thank you for reading for us today. <laughs> All this is to say that what the Bible says about godly leadership or godly influence has something to say to each one of us here with every relationship that you have every day of your life. And I know of no passage in the Bible that speaks more directly about the influence we have over others than Psalm 25. So let me tell you about it just a moment. There's a superscription. I don't know if you have a Bible in front of you or on your phone or something. You'll see it says Psalm 25 and under that there's a superscription that tells us it's a Psalm of David, the Psalm from the King. Now from, from the earliest times that Jewish or Christian commentators have written about Psalm 25, they have felt that it was written probably sometime just after 
David had sinned grievously with that adultery with Bathsheba, if you know the story, that had led to this ongoing cover-up that had led eventually even to murder. If you're new to the life of a church, you can read this sordid tale in 2 Samuel chapters 8 to 12. 2 Samuel chapters 8 to 12. So David had sinned, and there were consequences that affected his own life consequences to the wrong that he had done that had affected his family, his immediate family, and affected his entire nation, and David the king knew it. In fact, I don't know if you noticed as Heather was reading that psalm, at the very end, it's, it's so, but the, it really hits you when he says at the end of all these things, after talking about the places he's fallen short, then he says, deliver Israel, O Lord, from all her troubles. See, he knew that he was a main cause of those troubles, and he wanted God to deliver him and his people. So, so when I read this poem, we might have to go back and read it again, right? I feel all the emotions that all of us have felt when we've done something that is wrong and seriously wrong, wrongs that we know that are damaging other relationships. David, from the beginning to the end, expresses shame. Did you hear it? For what he has become beginning with verse two, and he brings it back again. I feel so ashamed of what I have become. He expresses how much he knows he has real guilt in his life that needs to be forgiven and taken away. He's, he's longing for a new start. And after failure, wondering if he'll ever be used again. So the, the whole way this psalm, I love poetry, you know that. The whole way this psalm reads, you just feel this thing. It just goes back and forth with all of the, these emotions about the shame that he feels and how many times he's, uh, his whole life he has done wrong. But then there's also, he keeps coming back to the hope that he has because of who God is. And we're going to see that today. So what is Psalm 25 about? I, I wrote it here for you just as you can think about it. I hope you'll read it through this, this week on your own. So a leader, a king, who really believes in God, he would have shown up at church, but he's messed up badly. What he has done has had far, far-reaching consequences. So in this psalm, he confesses his failure transparently, and he seeks to have God take over this situation, and God to make the future different from the past. You might want to leave that for a moment. You've got to remember, David was still king when he wrote this. And as you read his story, he had some really difficult years ahead of him, many of them caused by his ongoing sins and failures. But I've got to tell you this too. He had some of his most fruitful years as king in the future. So one of the beautiful things I want to drive home is that God did not write David off because he had failed He's the God of a second chance. And we're going to see that today. He even set him to use again in a powerful way. So I've been asking, okay, how does that happen? What do we see in this psalm that makes it possible for imperfect people, like David was, I'm looking around, like you and I are, to continue to provide godly and health-giving influence in the lives of other people? So I've seen a couple of things. Number one. I see the self-awareness, I'm going to call it that, the self-awareness of a godly leader. 
usually when we have political leaders, they only try to tell all the positive things. Look what David becomes aware of, verse seven. God, do not remember my rebellious ways. Verse 11, forgive my iniquity, for it is great. Verse 18, take away all my sins. See, when I, I read this psalm, I, I just sense David refusing what he's tempted to do, but he, he's not going to do. He's done it for so long, for so many months after he had committed this series of sins beginning with adultery. You know what he tried to do? He tried to cover it up. Even after the adultery and even after the murder, then he was still trying to cover this up. For at least six months, he lived as if it had Never happened. You can almost imagine. He would have been worshiping in church with us today. He would have been wearing his kingly robes. He would have been doing his kingly duties, trying to show that he was still that practically perfect in every way, you see, king, that everybody thought that he was. So I ask you, have you ever done that sort of thing? had something that happened in your life, you show up at church, but it's there and it hasn't been brought out, hasn't been turned from. I t- don't you think there is a warning already to all of us in this? See, this story, when you, when, when you read it, I, I've only given you a little of this thing. It is filled with sexual unfaithfulness and deceit and cover-up and lying and disregard for others and abuse of authority by a king and so many other things. But I'm telling you, if you come to church this morning and you only think, oh, that David, he's a scoundrel, I'm glad I'm not as bad as he was, then you've missed the point of this whole sermon. You with me here? This story is not meant to lead you and me to gloat or to think I can't be as bad as he is. It is a call to you and me to examine our own hearts just as David did here in Psalm 25. And and I know this. I've, I've been at this a long time. That if you and I won't do that, examine our own hearts, open them up to God in light of Scripture, then someday God will do with you what he did to David. He'll break into your life and say it's not just David, it is. So, let me tell you this. In being a sinner, David was as we all are. I know that's not a popular word here in Southern California, but it's true. Where David parted company with many, many people was not in being a sinner, but how he responded to the conviction of God in his life when he sent a message to him and said, David, you're the one that's done wrong and affected your people. Now, so often I have experienced church people when, when their, their wrongdoings have come out and into the open. I mean, many different reactions. Some hear God's voice, you know, they feel remorse for a short time, and then the next thing I know, they're right back to where they were before. I, I call it the rubber band effect, <laughs> sort of stretching yourself out. But right, you go right back to the old way of life. I, I found others who just then just say, I give up, either getting angry with themselves or with other people. The shame and the guilt just makes them say, I'm not going to show up at that church anymore. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm done with all of this. But do you notice, David didn't do either of those things. What did he do? He confessed 
his sins. He then found forgiveness and then made himself available. You can read Psalm 71, another, uh, 51, another psalm written after this. Lord, I, I pray you can use me again. Restore the joy, restore my usefulness. However, I tell you, this can only happen after he had become transparent about his sins and his own desperate need of the mercy of God in his life. And after that, you begin to see this difference, how his life begins to be turned around. No more pretense. No more self-congratulation. And I've written this for you so you won't miss it. I think God often does his greatest work in our lives when our illusions of superiority and self-sufficiency have been stripped away. What I see in the godly leaders I know whose lives are really being used by God are always this kind of self-awareness that I see developing in David's life in Psalm 25. I read it through, and I want you to do this too. I sort of pulled out all the qualities that I began to see that God could really use again, and I've written them here for you. Just look at this list, godly leadership. Verse seven, transparency now. Didn't have to hide stuff. Uh, Verse nine, humility, though he was king. So verse nine also, a humble, teachable spirit. I have much to learn. Verses 14 and 15, a fear of the Lord. He thinks it's serious to go his own way. And then in verse 21, this this longing for personal integrity or the word that is there, uprightness. So so let me tell you why I think this kind of self-awareness is a key to godly leadership. I have discovered that the godly leaders who have brought grace and blessing to those around them, to their businesses, to their families, to the churches, other places, have always been those who have owned up to their own failures and their personal need of mercy and grace. It, it just makes you treat people differently. I know, I, I know that those wrongdoings can, can sort of bind our lives, become a straitjacket for us, leading to the realities that David talks about here, the shame for who we are, for guilt for what we have done. But at the same time, when we give them to God and see he's not done with us, yes, it changes everything. Those same realities of owning up to to our need of mercy and grace can can, can enable us to give up all those illusions that whatever is happening, we can just do it with our own resources and making our own plans and And we can continue to try to do it with our own manipulative ways to get out of these dark corners that we've gotten ourselves or others into as David tried to do. So the foundational point for godly leadership is not even what we're gonna be having in our Global Leadership Summit, though there's so much there that will be important about learning how to use the leadership skills and techniques you have, but it begins much earlier than that. The starting point I'm convinced of is this. Any of us who will influence anyone positively to the glory of God will come from a place in which we are aware of our own sin and that we have become recipients of the mercy and grace of God. Instead of where most leaders in our worlds come from or try to pretend they come from, from places of personal ego and pride. So I'll tell you, if you accept 
the, the biblical teaching that all of us have fallen short of God's glory and ways, then you'll understand that a godly leader will have already owned up to that. It will be the kind of thing that says to anybody who comes under our authority or influence, well, I too have fallen short. I need God's grace. It will make you treat people differently. And it will also lead to a whole path of uh, engaging in that very, very deep and personal spiritual healing in which we open up more and more of our lives as we become aware of them and allow God to reveal to us the wounds that have happened in our hearts because of the things we have done or others have done to us. And that's why we have emotionally healthy spirituality here to try to, to work through those things together as a community. And then God, when we open them up to him, is able to heal so that we don't have to conceal. He can heal so we don't have to conceal the self-awareness of a godly leader. One more thing I want you to see. The God-awareness of a spiritual leader. Did you notice it as Heather read? I'll show some of it to you here. Verse six. God, your great love and mercy are from old. It's the way you've always been. Verse seven. Remember me according to your love, for you are good. Verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And then the one I really like, for the sake of your name, forgive. So I see David's conversion from being this self-directed to a God-directed leader is communicated most poignantly in his opening line, in which in verse one he says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You see, it's an offering, it's a surrender to God, and that surrender to God continues on. In verse two, he says, I put my trust in you, not in my own strength. And in verse five, in you I have trusted all day long. I just think this, this psalm could have been one of despair, don't you? When you realize how much you've messed up, <laughs> and even that there are consequences for it. He had failed, and that failure would lead to challenges. I mean, opposition, not just from enemies, but from his own family and friends. I mean, you can read this story all the way through, from 2 Samuel through 1 Kings. But I'll tell you, what is at the heart of Psalm 25 is not just confessing what he has done wrong, but again and again the nature of who God is. And that God's deep longing in our lives is that he is ready to restore any life that returns to him. God can bring victory out of our failure. Any any amens about all of that? So this psalm, thank you. David started this psalm with a prayer of trust in God and an abiding hope in the ability of God. And he ends the psalm with an affirmation of God being who he is, good and upright. And in between, he sort of massages on one side his own enduring legacy of these misdeeds that resulted in that guilt and shame with, on the other side, this word of hope that was never taken away. And it was there because of who God is. Here's how it happened for David. In the midst of him trying to cover up his misdeeds, God sent a preacher. Yes, a preacher can do something good in your life. 
named Nathan who told David first a story of a rich and powerful man in his own kingdom who had gone and stolen the only prized possession of a very, very poor man. Now remember, David at this time was still hiding what he had done, that he had stolen another man's wife. And so in this, he, he turned with indignance to the preacher and he said, who is that man? I'm the king around here. I'll do something for you about this. And into that comes one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, in which Nathan turns to David and says, you are the man. So I've got to ask you today, is there anything about which God needs to say that to you today? It's not just David. There's something in your life you need to turn from and give to me. So after hearing that evil will be punished, there are consequences to what he has done. David confessed in verse 13, and this is what he said. I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. So a second question. Is there anything in your life about which you need to say that to the Lord right now? And then the Bible tells us how God responds to that kind of repentance. Do you want me to tell you what it is or should I just skip, skip this part? Let me just tell you this. Nathan turns to David in light of his repentance and he turns to him with unequivocally and says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Brothers and sisters, this is the hallelujah part. Because the thing we're going to see is God is still God. Is there anything like that that you need to hear today? That God is willing to step into your life and says, I know everything that you've done this week, but I'm willing to cast that as far as east is from the west. Then listen to this frail preacher just turn to you and say, 1 John 1, 9, if you and I confess our sins, God will still be who he is. He is faithful. He is just. And in keeping with his name, he will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all that is unrighteous. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's so many of these things that you need to read about God in this chapter, so read it through. Uh, you see that he, he keeps coming to think about all these things that God is. God is love, God is merciful, God is just, God is good, God is faithful, but the, the section I want you to ruminate on is verse 11. I don't know if you noticed this, Heather was reading. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my sin, though it is great. What does that mean, for the sake of your name? I've spoken to you about this before, but maybe this morning you'll be ready to let Scripture really speak into your heart. In that verse, he's remembering back to a time in his nation's history, centuries before he lived, that was never forgotten. It was when Moses was here. And after doing things for God for so long, Moses turns to God and says, God, I've been walking with you for a long time, but um, you know everything about me. But I don't really know you. Tell me your name. That's what he said. 
Now for, for Jewish people to know the name of a person meant to know something very personal and intimate about that person. And God says, I will make my name known to you. And in Exodus 34, verses six and seven, I want to show you this. This becomes a passage that again and again in good times and bad, uh, the people of God have brought this back and just said, God, this is who you are and I'm gonna trust you'll be who you are. And this is what God said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Notice that, notice that. Yet I do not leave the guilty unpunished. Throughout the history of God's people, you'll see them continue to bring this back. We know, Lord God, who you are because we human beings, we're fickle. We're always vacillating. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who was that with Moses' time was that with David and is the same God even here today. So what he says is, when we walk away from him and do wrong, he will punish evil. He doesn't just sweep evil under the rug as if it doesn't matter. And so David felt the consequences of that today. So I'm going to tell you where there is wrong in your life. Jesus died to bear that punishment, but you must confess that to him and bring him into your life. I declare that to you today. God still does not let evil go unpunished. So the question is again and again, what is in your life that needs to be given to him? Make it right with him now. But I'll also declare this to you today. If you turn to God in repentance and faith, he will forgive you. And just like he did with David, he will make you useful again. How, how can I say that about God with such authority? Because that's who he is. And that's who he always will be. And when we know that, we can always know that he will always love us and forgive us when we turn to him and use us again. The thing I want you to live life with is to know that he's always present. And wherever you are, whatever you do, he knows you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And when you turn to him, he will always receive you and he will set you to use in his kingdom, to his glory. It's the God awareness of a godly leader. And the last thing, just with the moments that we have, the main practice of a godly leader, because there's a lot of work that had to happen in David's life. It's not that poof, you know, we become strong. There's a lot of growing that has to do. So look at this main spiritual practice. Verse four, God, help me to know your ways. I need to know, teach me your paths. Verse five, lead me in your truth and teach me. Uh, verses five and six, and you do that. God instructs sinners like me, David says, in his way and teaches the humble. I'll just boil down what characterizes the central spiritual practice of a godly leader. There are many things that we do as we grow in our walk with God, but the central one is this. A godly leader's life is characterized by constant prayer. You've got to get this idea of prayer as just communicating with God, knowing that he is there. The Apostle Paul, writing centuries after David had written this, would say the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he would turn and say, pray without ceasing. 
This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, That phrase, not ceasing, doesn't mean nonstop. It means ever recurring. It, It means that we always know that God is there. So the one who prays like this, just always, whatever happens in your life, you know that God is present. You practice the presence of God by praying. The ones that I have seen who have lived life like this, number one, have actually met God personally. Have you? Do you know him as your father? And then are growing to know what he's like. We also know, number two, that God's character never changes, as I talked about, so that he's always with us and we can bring matters to him and he won't write us off. Finally, those who pray like this and are changed by this constantly are surrendering our lives fully to God because God is God. When this is true of us, are you beginning to see, wouldn't this change the way that you treat the people who work around you? change the way you deal with people in your own family. We'll use whatever influence we have in ways that we want to honor God. So we're gonna seek to forgive as God forgives. We're gonna long for the best for others as God does. I I know all this is aspirational, we're not there, but that's what can grow in our lives. None of us are perfect yet. So I'm gonna give you a verse that I love. I, I, I gave this even before I became pastor here. It's in 1 Timothy chapter four, verses 15 and 16. Uh, It was the older pastor turning to a younger pastor, Timothy. Timothy not wanting to do this and thinking, I'm not as good as you and John and the others who are there. And here's what Paul said to him. Let everyone, this is a Waybright translation, just to let you know. Let everyone you influence see your progress. Uh, Not perfection. Let everyone you influence see your progress, especially in your faith and in your understanding of God and his truth. Uh, I remember when when I was here, it was before you voted on me. I said, if I come, I pray that as I come to the end of my time as your senior pastor, you'll see me, and you'll see someone who is more like Christ than you saw 12 years ago. And I also turn and I said, I pray that I will see the same in you. Because God does not expect perfection in a moment, but he promises he will work in us, see that we make progress in the faith, and and Psalm 25 just sort of tells you how we pray moment by moment, day by day, so that this can happen. I'll show that to you too. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in the truth, your truth, and teach me for you are my God. Notice that show me, teach me, guide me. Will he do it? When you get down to verses eight and nine, you see the way he answers that. The prayer, show me. And then he says, the Lord instructs sinners in his way. Thank you, Lord. He prays, teach me your paths. And then he will say, the Lord does that. He guides the humble in what is right. May it be. Guide me in your truth. And he says, the Lord teaches them in his way. How much we need that. I hope you see it. For a godly leader, knowing God is the starting point. But what is being talked about here is a way of life, knowing that God is always present wherever you go. The way of life, the life of a godly leader should be a way of life that flows from living daily with God. And the impact of that is that we should use whatever authority 
or influence we have in the way that God uses his authority in our lives. To serve others and not just to please ourselves. To lift up those we influence and not just to promote ourselves. I'm telling you, it's still the kind of pastor I long to be. I I see the same thing, I must tell you, in Pastor Jeff Matisich. And I see it in our pastoral team. This morning as Pastor Scott and Myra were here, I, I see their desire to know God and to follow his ways. I see it in your elected leaders. Last Tuesday, we spent an evening together as a ministry council. Just wanna tell you how much your spiritual leaders want to lead in God's ways and along God's paths. It's the kind of leadership that I would ask you to be praying for and watching for and actually becoming yourself as we move into our future. David would say there's only one thing to fear and that's displeasing you. And that means if you're in a time of transition and if we're in a time of transition as a church, there's nothing we need to fear because we don't know what the future holds, but somebody does. And it is a good future. So we simply need to seek his ways and be guided by his, by his presence in ways that honor him. And that, the same thing is true for you, whatever is happening, whether you're moving into a different school or going into a different university or whatever is happening, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. But if you will learn to pray like this, it will make a difference in every moment of your lives. And I'll tell you, if we will become more and more individually and corporately like this, praying like this, treating one another like this, I'll tell you, this is going to become a more and more beautiful place, don't you think? As we use whatever, amen. Influence we have to bless one another here in this church. You know what will happen? The world will look at what's happening here at Lake Avenue Church and they will see the ways of God in the way we live. Isn't there a phrase for that? Uh, Having people see what God is like through the way we live? Oh yes, there is. Our lives, our church, will be to his glory and to his glory alone. May it be. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. So Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word and where I have, use it in each of our lives. Just as you worked in David's life, forgave him, set him to use again, do that in all of our lives as well. Father, I pray in doing so you'll draw us together as a church family so that we might reflect your glory. I pray you do that in our families, in our friendship relationships, the way we work. Father, we are yours. We're still pieces of work. Still so much to be done in us. Father, through the promise that we have in your word, through the power of your spirit, we know that you will help us to become more and more and more those who glorify you. Do it today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.